in a world where most people watch movies and then forget about them. These brave heroes join forces to watch them again and then talk about them. Join them in their epic journey as they go back in time, a decade and beyond, to revisit and break down films from a vast array of genres. Do these movies hold up over time? Are they classics? Find out on Retro Movie Roundtable. Starring your hosts, Brian Fry, Chad Robinson, Destin Melbarnes, Nathan Lutz, and Russell Guest. Coming now to Headphones in Your Ears. Welcome all you lords, ladies and knights to the Retro Movie Roundtable. Welcome to the show where we watch movies and then talk about them. I'm your host, Russell Guest, and joining me today is my good friend and co-host from deep in the heart of Texas, Mr. Dustin Melbardis. How are you doing, sir? Good evening. I'm doing great. Uh, extremely busy week. and get to relax and talk about a fine old movie. And for those of you who don't know, Dustin was my roommate in college, but before he was my roommate in college, Tommy Allen was my roommate in college, so it is a Russell's roommate special. Tommy Allen, how are you doing, sir? I'm great. How are you? Coming to us from Biloxi, Mississippi, in your car, which is unusual. So the dedication, you will not have heard the sound right. check test, but Tommy Allen spent 30 minutes to get his sound right for this episode. So everybody, Tommy's hardcore. Well, whatever. Uh, whatever you got to do to make <laughs> it sound right. So here I am out in the car, but it, it, it'll be fine. That's the kind of care that you're putting the care for our audience. So we thank you for that. Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that made Braveheart one of our top 10 downloading episodes before when you were on that. So uh, it's that dedication. You're the Willis Reed of podcasting. Hopefully we'll get it more that many more viewers and they'll go back and rewatch that one so we can make it the top episode, you know. Tommy, Eddie Murphy is not only a gifted comedy actor, but he's also one of the best stand-up comedians ever. Who's your favorite stand-up comedian? I guess I'd say Jim Carrey. He is really good in the stand-up. For him, that's a great selection there. Now, Dustin, who's your favorite stand-up comedian? I'm gonna go with Mitch Hedberg here, the late Mitch Hedberg. I, I think he paved the way for a lot of other stand-ups who focus on one-liners, like Dan Mintz, who is the voice of Tina on Bob's Burgers, and uh, Dimitri Martin from Gosh, back when we were in college. Like, I think that they kind of looked at Mitch Hedberg for inspiration there, and I think most of the people our age, kind of, they have heard some of those one-liners before. I think he just stands out as someone from my past. It's like, he, he's the best still for me. Mitch Hedberg was taken from us too soon. He is one of my favorites. Maybe the only reason I have gone with this direction is recency bias, but John Mulaney is a very funny man, and he cracked me up, and he's probably become my favorite. He's good. He's very good. Now, Dustin, what movie are we going to cover today? Beverly Hills Cop from 1984. Do had to do it. Axel F. Yeah, the cover, Russell's cover version of Axel F. I was I was just dancing to that. Somebody did a good remix of that at a Mardi Gras party. It is catchy. It will be in your ear, and it has been in my ear all week for sure. I think I even texted Tommy, being like, "This, this is this is definitely the earworm." Of the week for me, so. so so this movie technically came out like right when I was born. It's 1984. It makes it's budgeted for only 13 million dollars, but it grosses 234.7 million dollars, which is a lot of money for 1984. It's the number one movie in the box office that year. It comes in ahead of the movie Ghostbusters. Even IMDb gives it a 7.3, and the critics of Rotten Tomatoes give it an 83 percent audience score of 82 percent. 
It gets an Academy Award nominee for Best Original Screenplay. This is not the type of movie that I feel like the Academy would entertain for such categories today, but uh, they did then. And the Golden Globe gave it nominees for Best Motion Picture for Comedy or Musical and Best Motion Picture Actor for Eddie Murphy. Again, it didn't win, but still, it's getting nominations at that level. And the BAFTAs also gave it a nominee for Best Score, and it was the People's Choice Award winner for Favorite Motion Picture, Stuntman Award uh, for Best Vehicular Stunts, and the AFI gives us the praise of being on the top 100 funniest movies of all time and putting it at number 63. And this is the first of seven movies in a row that Eddie Murphy puts out where he's number one in the box office. So he begins his titan status of the Meteoric 80s here. Rise. Yeah. yeah. Seven? I did not know that. That's yeah. insane. So Eddie Murphy. stranglehold on the box office. Eddie Murphy is on fire. You mentioned some sort of uh, car scene i mean what what were they they got an award for uh, best vehicular stunt at the stuntman's vehicular award. stunt is that from the opening scene i where would they think so it has to take be. the yeah. take that uh that that double trailered cigarette truck and uh start bashing it through all the streets of detroit <laughs> yes and then that's when eddie murphy get, uh, gets in trouble for the you know they, they introduce you to him and his insubordination with uh, Detective Todd—it's like the best relationship uh, that, that that you could have asked for, and how genuine it was. And um, I believe Detective Todd was an, a, a real police officer. Yes, that's true. And, and it's even more amazing that it broke the first record weekend in the box office at the time. It took in fifteen point two million dollars in the first weekend. This was the highest R-rated grossing film in the United States all the way up until The Matrix Reloaded comes out. That's 19 years later as the number one grossing R-rated movie. Soundingly popular. Now, the film holds the record for uh, selling the most rented titles on Betamax format. So, nice. So for, good. for those of you who like Betamax, there's a good chance this is in your library. Um, <laughs> so, uh, well, I to- mean, if you got this one, you got to have the trilogy. I mean, you know... Y- now, Tommy, obviously, you have seen this movie before, but what was your first time seeing it, and what was your experience coming to it? I honestly couldn't remember, but I'm sure I was real young. I mean, I used to, my brother was older than I was, so he would always watch older kid movies, but I never really had a filter for any of that stuff, so I got to, you know, watch or, you know, sit in the background and watch movies like this when I was young, but I would always watch it with my cousins, and, like, we would just uh you know act like eddie murphy a lot and joke around and use his lines i might have i might have actually saw the second one first i mean you gotta think i was really young when this thing came out yeah so makes I probably sense saw, i probably saw the second one first and then i went back and watched the first one to understand okay this is where all the stuff comes from you got all kinds of stuff in that I obviously. This is one that you hold near and dear. So is it, I take it, it's aging well for you. Aging well, of course, it will never, it will never not be off. Yeah. Now, Dustin, had you seen Beverly Hills Cop? I had seen Beverly Hills Ninja with Chris Farley, but I had actually never seen Beverly Hills Cop until three days ago. So I was once again lucky enough to be, have something introduced to me. Of course, I'd heard about it. But I had not seen it. So, uh, and I've seen it twice. I watched it three days ago, watched it again today before we started. A real pleasure to see. 
be great because I'd love to hear what someone that's that's actually pretty cool that you've never seen it. It's the best, man. Yeah. Yeah, seeing it now, did it age well? I think that's something that maybe we'll have time to talk about after the break, uh, as far as things that aged well and did not. Ooh, that's a tease. I see what you did there. (laughs) That was good. That was good. I'm going to say that Tommy also introduced me to this movie, but it wasn't here at this podcast. I was, again, his roommate in college, and he talked it up. I actually did not get around to it until after we were no longer living together, but we were on a bus trip to go study architecture in Detroit. and so. Tommy introduced me to Beverly Hills Cop Trilogy, all three of them on the same very long bus trip from Knoxville to Detroit, uh, there and back. I I did think it was a lot of fun. Seeing a movie in a bus is not always the best atmosphere, but it was a lot of fun. And so uh, Tommy's enthusiasm rubbed over to me and my wife, Mary. We were on this bus enjoying this. And I have seen it several times since then, but I have it has been a while now because I have put it down for a while. It's funny because I watched them all back to back. They bleed together a ton for me. So it was fun to kind of come back and see what the first one is because they all are very much amorphous, like all melted into one to me. And now you got it. And it takes it it takes a while. You got to like think back. You're like, was that the first or the second? Oh, okay, Yeah, that was the first. All right. Well, Tommy, here's here's another thing. I haven't seen the second or the third one either. So I I get to. I get to dissect this movie on its own. So, yeah, it, it's, not, it's not just, uh, you know, I, I have it by itself, so I'm only judging it by itself. But I will say I'm glad that you got introduced to it on a bus because while it might not be the best atmosphere for a movie, it's about the only way to make a bus trip tolerable is to watch a movie, especially if you have the rest of the trilogy ready to go. So uh, good use of your time. Yes, there, there's some more stories to come about uh, how Detroit relates back to back to this uh, <laughs> this podcast and Russell and uh, the debauchery in Detroit that that <laughs> us as a class went through. Uh, we had a really good time, though. It was that place was wild where we were staying. We we're in Detroit of Mercy. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> that's that a rough. Was, that, the campus itself is fine because it's in a it's in a stone wall with like razor wire like you know around a stone wall that runs around the outside of the campus but the several blocks of commute to get to it is dicey. <laughs> um, well, and the Burger King, the Burger King had like bulletproof glass and you had to get your food through a little uh, turnstile. <laughs> yeah. Turnstile and I was like, "Well, what where are we at right?" <laughs> uh, I, I'm not one to be this way. Like I'm not one to be like, wow, I don't trust the city that I'm in. But I was, yeah, I was like, I was like, when you're a Burger King getting your food through it turns. Yeah. yeah. Like, Even on the bus, I was sitting there going like, this is bad. Like, I mean, I've seen <laughs> eight mile before, but this is like eight miles of eight mile. Like this is just an enormously long stretch of uncomfortable urban. Well, it's like back in Knoxville. We just walk up to the crystal. They had a walk up window. Oh, hey, yeah, I'll take that. But no turnstile. I, I did yeah. find myself being like the bus has a lot of gas in it left. Right. Like I do not want to run out of gas. No flat tires. <laughs> no. Yeah. So, no, that was an interesting trip. And moments after that. Some fun stuff will happen here after the break. So uh, we will be back after this message is if you have not seen Beverly Hills Cop, there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So go check it out and come back and enjoy this. We'll be back after this. Welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast. I'm Bill. 
And I'm Jason, and this is the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. So whether you're a brain, a jock, a valley girl, or a Jedi, we've got some 80s classics for you. Do these movies stand the test of time? Are we discovering something new? Is there an 80s movie we're finally watching for the first time? Join us each week as we dive into the cinematic nostalgia that inspired and influenced a generation. From the hits to the cult classics, we'll discuss our earliest memories, favorite scenes, fun facts, and our not-so-favorite movie moments, too. It's the All 80s Movies Podcast, now available on all major streaming platforms. Please subscribe and happy listening. All right, we're back, and it is now time there will be spoilers that lie ahead. So, Dustin, for those who have not seen Beverly Hills Cop since 1984, let's refresh people's memory here. The cops pull up on an illegal cigarette sale in Detroit, resulting in an explosive chase through the crowded streets as our hero undercover cop Axel Foley hangs onto the back for dear life. Once the chase meets its conclusion... Axel is reprimanded by his superior officer for not playing by the rules. That very night, his best friend Mikey, fresh out of prison, pays him a visit only to be tracked down and killed for carrying smuggled Deutschmarks. Mikey's last conversation with Axel sends him to Beverly Hills to get some answers, where he meets Jenny, his old friend from childhood, who provides the details about a Victor Maitland who had employed Mikey before the incident. Axel moves fast, talks fast, and charismatically charms his way into and out of trouble with the local fuzz, particularly officers Taggart and Rosewood, before an unlikely alliance between them results in the discovery of an elaborate smuggling operation. Axel moves in too quick and without backup, but Billy Rosewood saves his life, while Taggart provides the needed support to storm the palatial home of Maitland, overwhelm the armed guards, get Jenny to safety, and bring about poetic justice for the murder of his friend. All right. Taggart and Rose, Rosewee. <laughs> it's Rose Monster. <laughs> Super Cops. Super Cops. Or I guess it was, was it, it was Taggart and, and Rosewood. Uh, Taggart and Rosemont. It's Rosewood. Now It's Rosewood, right. The chief, the chief, chief gets his name wrong. Yeah, he gets his name wrong, and that the look on his face after he corrects him is just like where 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 the lieutenant's just like, "Are you an idiot? Like, why would you have said that? Who cares what your name?" (laughs) So we 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 teased it. So I'm gonna go right there, Tommy. What happened in Detroit moments after watching Beverly Hills Cop? Okay, so we went out in Detroit. I think we went to some casinos. We went down there, and you can see, I think you can see Canada from across the water, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. okay, okay. So that's the the city. That's where we were at. Okay. So we went to these casinos. We got hammered. And me and a buddy were just roughhousing uh, my friend Andrew. uh, Holcomb, shout out to Andrew Holcomb. And freshman year, Uh, he like went through the wall. Of somebody's dorm into like not literally, me. I did not literally go through, the, through wall. the wall. That was not me. That was me. That was Craig. Craig. That was Craig. Was somebody I thought. Yes, it was like something. It wasn't of, me. Yeah, okay. I did not go through the wall. But anyway, so me and Andrew were just like roughhousing, and I don't really know what happened. We uh, we were like shadow boxing or something, and I like turned around, 
and then ran after him to like, I don't know, tackle him or something. And at that very minute that I turned around, he was doing like a shadow box roundhouse kick and just smashed my face with his foot. So in that that morning, obviously, everybody's just hung over. Oh, my gosh. I think everybody was waiting on me, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was super late. It was like, if you are not here at the time, the the bus will leave you. And I'm over here scrambling, praying that I'm, I didn't forget anything. We did not, though. That, that was an empty promise. <laughs> yeah, we were on the bus for like 15 minutes and waiting for you and one, of, one other person to show up. And, uh, and then when you came on, you had really big sunglasses, even though it was super cloudy. I had, <laughs> like, I had a, a black eye, a busted lip. Your eye, your eye was like red. Like, like yeah. the white of your eye was like blood. Like, yeah, you got shadow roundhouse. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, it was bad. And you, then, uh, you sat down behind Mary and I on the bus, and I looked back at you, and I was like, what's wrong with your lip? And you took your glasses off, and you go, Detroit is a very violent city. <laughs> <laughs> which uh which you know obviously for the listeners who have seen this movie that's a line from this movie you know when he goes in to, to talk to victor and he's talking about what it, what mikey had done for him as far as work goes and he's like you know sorry to hear about mikey detroit is a very violent city yeah. <laughs> so that that line came from beverly hills cop and we just left it at that I think I just sat in the chair not talking to anybody for like 30 minutes. and then I was pretty I concerned. I was like, you. did somebody do this to you? And you eventually <laughs> yeah. did tell me, like, you were embarrassed about it. You were at that point. It's like, no, it was just me and Andrew. I was like, what? Yeah. So, no. Yeah. But like, for, like you said, you were quiet. I was sitting there going, like, did somebody mug you? For real? Yeah. Like, because it was very believable where oh, we yeah. were staying. <laughs> and we had all got back real late. And I mean, you know, it was. But anyway, we, it was all, it was all just, you know, Looking back at it, how we can all laugh about it, how funny it was. I'm just happy I got back with all my stuff because I was so hungover. I, I can't remember, <laughs> you know, packing or anything. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop is a lighter tone action comedy. And I feel like it does action and comedy in a really pleasant balance. And I think it's a hard formula to actually replicate because there are other action comedies. But Tommy, what makes this one? work so well what made people flock to the box offices and then connect with it and go tell their friends and then it just it was explosive what's the what's the, what's the secret ingredient i honestly think everybody can relate to the this is a poor detroit cop going up to rich beverly hills and you know it's kind of like one of those good old-fashioned stories about you know the the gritty kid coming in and showing all the all the you know established uh, rich folks that you know he's a better detective than everybody you know gives him credit for obviously wearing rosewood along the the other young kid there's just a lot of relating to everyday people's jobs and life in general and like just you know friendships you've got and it's just a great a great movie and you know there's a part in there where they're doing some research and they take end up taking their bosses you know his boss into a striptease establishment you know i mean there's just a lot there it's funny the way you said that because that's how a cop would say it like i think anybody would say strip club but so many times in this movie they say 
a strip tease establishment. Like like it's a going <laughs> like it's going into a report. And, uh, it's when the chief's sitting there talking uh, talking to uh, Eddie and or well Axel Foley. He's over there. He's saying uh, talking about all the stuff he's done. He's busted Victor Maitland's window, ruined the buffet at the Herald Club. He, uh, <laughs> he uh, marked or he uh, right. He compromised an, an unmarked police car. Said, and then then took two of them to a striptease establishment. I mean, it's just <laughs> it's just hilarious. So, yeah, phrasing is so important to comedy, though. You know, I mean, if you say the same sentence in four different ways, and then, like you said, if you stick in an unusual word, all of a sudden it'll resonate in such a different way. It's interesting, Dustin, as a first time viewer, what do you think made it so explosive at the time? Is it just personality of Eddie Murphy? Actually, you just answered the question. It's it's Eddie Murphy. This is his the begin of the meteoric rise you, you mentioned before. It's, it's time for him to earn all of this fame as he did for years. And uh, I think people, he, he's young. He is real. The things that make him different from the Beverly Hills Cop are relatable and fun. There are some things that are maybe a little too smooth or too fast-talking, but that's okay. We're still rooting for him. I think you... you you find yourself in his corner no matter what, uh, even when he's very clearly breaking protocol or, or sneaking into some place. If I were, could compare him to someone that I don't think has that same likability across the board, I would say Martin Lawrence will annoy you sometimes, like Blue Streak or something. Sometimes, oh, this guy is getting on my nerves. But that never happens with Axel Foley, played by Eddie Murphy. He's calm. He, he, he does rush headfirst into things, but the way that he uh, kind of goes through a conversation is there is a calculated nature to it. I just think him as a case study for the lead, I know that you know, this, this movie wasn't written for him. He was like the sixth or seventh choice, and it really, really worked and makes you think, how was it not written for him? Gosh, I can't uh, even picture this. Oh, yeah, him. yeah. He, he can right. explain his way out of everything. Like he can talk his way out of anything into anything, and what what I love about it is my uh my brother I used to he he reminded me so much of Axel Foley. My brother would go into like hotels and get all kinds of free stuff or get like the best room there is for a discounted price, you know, like like he did. And uh, when he goes into the Beverly Palm Hotel, <clears throat> don't you think I understand what's going on here? if i was a oh man that was that was if i were a small time reporter it's like if i were one of these local reporters you'd be rolling it out but i'm just a small time reporter from rolling stone magazine yeah yeah i was was gonna call it a sitting on top of the world but now i can't i guess i'll consider calling it sitting on top of the world everywhere except for the beverly palm hotel apparently uh, like the, the, that, that, that wit is fast, and uh, occasionally in in some movies, the the fast talker can be uh, like slightly on the unlikable side. And I don't think we ever get that from. No, from he's Eddie. very likable, just yeah. so charismatic. Even though he starts that whole conversation, he just walks up to the counter, 
he hears somebody else get rejected, like, you should try having a reservation <laughs> at least a week in advance. And he goes, the mm -hmm. nerve of some people. The nerve. <laughs> like, yeah, I that mean, gets me every time. And then he's oh, like, can you man. check for a reservation? Like, the, the, the setup nerve. is so the good. The nerve of some people. The nerve <laughs> of some people. Just, and Eddie's little effortless lines are very, very impressive. Like, again, if you just read that off by somebody else, we do not have electricity. But somehow, Eddie's delivery is amazing. And then you just mentioned another guy, Dustin, earlier with Jim Carrey as a stand-up, but like, as an actor, if you plug anybody else into a lot of Jim Carrey's vehicles, you fail. And I actually think this movie, it's funny that it gets nominated for Best Screenplay, because I'm not sure that it is that great of a screenplay. I think Eddie masks everything and makes everything look brilliant because it's an actor performing so well. Yeah, yeah. Well, he deserves credit for the whole thing. I mean, that's why there, there won't be Beverly Hills Cop without it. It's like there's there's not that movie's nothing without Axel Cole. He he's also he's he's fit and you you feel like he is um like an active detective. You feel you feel like it, like it makes sense. He, he's agile enough. And maybe this is the editing or or the way they have him in the house or like going through to to switch between being a, a man who can be a detective believably. And then also you switch to how quickly he can put like an effeminate voice on and come up. Oh, here's the ruse to get past the maitre d'. I'm going to pretend like I have herpes simplex 10 and that's how I'm going to get to Maitland. Like, like, like it's, it's a pretty, it's pretty sharp jumps between quick calculated wit and also uh, just things that are generally, and I'm not going to say silly, but uh, more like whimsical. And it, you don't feel jerked around. You feel like, wow, this 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 guy can really do it all, and that's why you root for him. It is interesting that Eddie is building up this amazing run here because this is his first movie where he is the guy. Forty eight hours, he's sharing the spotlight with Nick Nolte, trading places. He's sharing with Dan Aykroyd. There's another movie that comes out in '84 called Best Defense. That's a Dudley Moore's first build here. He turns down and leaves Ghostbusters. He's 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 gets Ernie Hodgson's role in Ghostbusters, which seems painful to turn down under all other circumstances. It's one of the greatest funny movies of all time. And he would have rocked that. And it hurts me a little bit to know he didn't get that part. No disrespect to Ernie Hudson. But he leaves it in order to do Beverly Hills Cop. And obviously, this is a money machine. This is the number one movie that year. And he gets a whole three run of them. And he is the guy. And you never win when you turn Ghostbusters down unless you're Eddie Murphy. And this is what you choose to do. And, uh, and after a run, and I didn't even mention, he was... In a time when Saturday Night Live was hurting after they depleted out the regular cast members of Bill Murray, Gilda Radner, uh, Dan Aykroyd, and all the greats from the first run, Eddie put that show in life support. And people had come to lot, expect a lot from that show. And not to diminish other people who were there in the 80s, I do think there was some underrated talent there at the time. But unequivocally, it does not make it. The show doesn't even exist without Eddie Murphy. So... In the early 80s, Eddie has become uh, this person people have taken a lot of interest in. And you're right. This is where he gets the show, the spotlight. It's put on him. And people clearly turn up to the box office to see Eddie. I would go so far. You, you mentioned that you, you didn't know for sure if the screenplay was as strong as earning a nomination. I agree. I think there's a, there's a lot about this movie that is, it's almost as if for an hour 45, and I always praise a movie for coming in clean under two hours, but a lot of it is they spoon feed you a lot of stuff in this movie. Yeah, they tell you who the villain is like 
early. And like, yeah. Uh, and and then there, there's also a, a lot of other things where it's it's very plainly like it's it's not a clever line it's an exposition line and that's okay because of Eddie Murphy's performance so even though we were talking about plot very briefly or what makes this work I think we can boil it down to hey it's Eddie you're right yeah and and we well you can't forget Detective T though I mean come on his role. From the very beginning to the very end is just unforgettable and and as classic as it comes because all throughout the movie he's got to like dodge Detective T in order to have time to go over to to Beverly Hills to do this you know he's like at the, even from the very beginning where he's like well how do you know it's a professional hit like well they weren't worried about your narrow ass. <laughs> and, uh, it's just like the most classic line and you're like oh that makes sense and they probably knew he was a cop so then they're probably not allowed to kill cops and that that's what sparks eddie to go back and in, into beverly hills to figure everything out there's a fun thing in this character though to your point tommy it's a disregard of authority that is just so likable and to your point dustin he stays so likable i think through actually all the you know, he genuinely is happy to see his friend Mikey when he gets out of prison. He is showing enough versatility as an actor that yes. you believe him as being tough when the action moments hit. You believe him as caring. You believe him as being a good friend when Jenny Summers and he reconnect. This seems like a nice guy that you want to be around. You get why Billy gets roped into doing absolutely career-killing stuff and following along. Eddie Murphy was so charismatic, and he's playing this character that is so charismatic that Everybody just goes along with him. Even like if he walks into a warehouse and says, show me all your papers. Like everyone just wants to just like, he's so charismatic and confident that it's, it's really fun to watch. And it's funny that it's not a goofball kind of thing where it's really slapsticky. It's not like somebody, sometimes people from Saturday Night Live get criticized for just going really big. You know, Will Ferrell makes it work for him, but other people get criticized for doing such a strong caricature. But Eddie Murphy is actually showing a pretty decent amount of range for what a character has to do. And that's one of the reasons you connect to him and you like him so much so that all these other things can work. It's actually kind of seemingly effortless. He's not trying as hard to make you laugh with punch, 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 punch jokes. This movie is not necessarily straight up. Ha 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 ha. It's fun first. And then it's balanced. And the comedy is within the situations. And they're not trying so hard all the time. And that's a good. That's actually it goes down really well because of that. I think it's more balanced than it is very funny. Yes. Does that make sense? Oh, 100%. It's an action so, comedy. Like, it's so not much just a comedy so, comedy. Right. So much so that when it landed on its, like, top 63 of best comedies or funniest movies, whichever list that was, I thought to myself, I don't think that's right. I think it's good. And I think it's balanced. And not, not everything does balance it out well. But as far as, uh, you know, what you just said, ha ha ha, like laugh out loud, funny. I mean, there were three or four times, I think it's when, when you see that little Damon Wayans cameo as the Banana Man, just I, I, where <laughs> I rewound it a couple times, like, this is great. And there are other times that you're just grinning ear to ear. I think when, when we get, speaking of the comedy, when we get Judge Reinhold as Rosewood, when he makes the turn into being the... The goose to his maverick. <laughs> there we go. Thank you. Yeah, when when he does turn into the the more fun Beverly Hills cop of the Beverly Hills detective duo, 
that's when you're like, okay, now now things are livening up. Things are getting a little more fun. It, but it, that took a little too long. But he's he's funny. But it's not laugh out loud funny. It's these these short little quotes are good. The the thing about like eating too much red meat. That little like during the steakout. Oh, yeah. Those little jokes are good, and they're not meant to have you bust a gut. They're they're there to just. This is uh, witty writing. It is absolutely the one character I was talking about earlier was Jeffrey from Detroit. Paul Reiser. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 He 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 played an important role in regards to you liking Eddie Murphy. You know how um yeah he shows up at the very beginning where he's like oh Detective Todd he's coming after you you know he's mm-hmm. he's looking for you about the cigarette truck. Which was an epic disaster, the cigarette truck opening scene where they went through and destroyed half the city. An awesome chase scene, by the way. Yeah. Set my expectations really high when you start off with that. That's a really good car chase scene. Exactly. This is a good action movie, too. That's the thing. Like, we were just talking about how balanced this is. A lot of comedy action movies are just goofy. I, I can't wait until you go to see the second one and you see how that cigarette deal relates about to the second one. Tommy's about to hijack this Dustin Clear schedule. He wants to come back next week to finish this trilogy. Let's get let's book a bus trip, brother. <laughs> <laughs> We're all going to meet in Knoxville because that's the appropriate amount of time to watch all no, these movies. No, you got to fly to Louisiana cuz I'm in Texas and he's in Mississippi. So fly to Louisiana, we'll meet you in Baton Rouge. We'll go on a bus trip. And we'll watch Beverly Hills Cop 2 and 3. That's <laughs> right. Now, Tommy, how would you feel? We talked about how good this movie is with Eddie Murphy and how it would suck with anybody else. How would you particularly feel if this movie starred Sylvester Stallone? I wouldn't have ever watched it. Yeah. It would have been, a, it would have been a life-altering for me. Because half of my, you know, like I, I talked about this on the other podcast, like a lot of my joking and humor of my personality comes from Axel Foley. Like the sarcasm and the you know just the way he jokes about everything and and you know he's not like serious about stuff you know i, I think that like it would it would be life altering instead you'd be going around to everybody going adrian <laughs> yeah. which, which then no one i don't know why like. i feel like he would say that <laughs> in this movie but that's just that's the best you know i can do. i mean i couldn't imagine that like what what it would have it wouldn't have been a comedy that point you know he didn't want it to be he wanted him to be darker he wanted him to be serious there's later a movie called cobra that comes out or not it's got some similarities in the plot structure to this and that is what you get with the stallone movie and if you haven't heard of cobra today there's a reason for that it's not as good as beverly hills cop it's interesting that this seems like it was tailor-made for eddie murphy that's how brilliant he is he walked into somebody else's probably shaky movie and it doesn't feel shaky at all. The director, Martin Brest, asks Eddie multiple times, I don't really know what to do here. What do you got, Eddie? And every time, he bailed him out. It's just amazing. There's such thing as being comedic genius. Sort of a, all of a sudden a dramatic savant. Hey, I'm, I'm kind of new to the action movie business here, but tell you what, if I were in the seat, here's what I would want to happen. Like, that's, that's a great instinct. It is, and he became an enormous crutch. So, are are we doing anything to take away from Martin Brest for giving us Geely? <laughs> like, is it so much to say that like the toddler couldn't figure out calculus? Like, <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep, you set the bar high, uh, like you said, Dustin, early. And, uh, <laughs> yep, 
But Mickey Rourke was also considered to do That's this. Right. I, uh, Jeff Bridges, James Caan, Billy Crystal. I, I feel like Billy Crystal might actually be enjoyable, but it's not it's going to be as good. Uh, De Niro can't picture it. Harrison Ford. I mean, I just don't feel like they even I knew know. what they wanted wow, to do. Weird. I know. Richard Gere can't picture that. Michael Keaton. Oh. Michael Keaton would be fun, but it's not going to be this good. Pacino even got considered. Uh, Richard Pryor. That might be good. Uh, but even Richard Pryor can't do all those like soft I moments. I could see Pacino. I could kind of see Pacino just because he's, but it would be so much more serious you know the, yeah. the movie would have just been you know it, it definitely wouldn't have been a hit like like this i mean <laughs> i think i think people went and saw that movie and were just like you have to go see this movie it is hilarious and it is just awesome yeah i mean i don't know what it was like in, in 1984 because i was just being born but <laughs> you know i'm assuming everybody was talking about it Six month old Tommy Allen heard heard it in his ears and it got into his subconscious and it was there. Probably, for him. Yeah. yeah. You never know. Yeah. Other names included Kurt Russell, Arnold Schwarzenegger, John Travolta. That would be not a good fit. And Rob, <laughs> Robin Williams. I mean, uh, Robin can do just about anything, but I just don't. This is how good Eddie is. These other names, which are some impressive names on here, you sit there and go, wow. In a movie where you just didn't know what you wanted, you got exactly what you needed. Yeah. Well, if I can take out our linchpin here, which is Eddie, I like writing the plot summary when I host with you, uh, Russell. I like writing it out, and 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 it makes me think. Let, let's remove the the charisma of, of Eddie Murphy here. We have a friend out of prison comes and visits a Detroit cop. The Detroit cop gets knocked out after the after the end of just merely hours together. Knocked out. His friend is assassinated. Professional hit job. And what's tying it together? A conversation about a security job gig in Beverly Hills for an art dealer, something that's truly brand new information. And that is what, and, and the, the, the smuggling object at that point, we, we didn't even sniff out drugs yet. We're just dealing with these bearer bonds, these Deutschmarks. Then it gets us to Beverly Hills. Now, I, I'm going to say that like that's shaky at best. I, I don't know if it's, if it's compelling by itself, I'm willing to follow Eddie Murphy to go see him do cool stuff in Beverly Hills. But the idea of just, so I got a job as a security guy, and that's the lead to my death. Then we get there, and... That's pretty fast, though. That's night. I wrote it down. 19 minutes is where he gets into Beverly Hills. Yeah. Man, yeah. That doesn't, it seems like so much longer. And Maitland doesn't do anything to appear innocent. He no, he doesn't. Flaunting his guilt in front of this guy, who he doesn't know is a cop. There are Bond villains with more depth than well, and this, so, and so that's why well, he getting thought he thought he was untouchable. I mean, this guy was been on to untouchable, even when uh, Eddie goes. That's a good point. Report, and reports to the police, they're like, "Do you know who this guy is? Tell him to stop bothering him. Get him out of here." They try to ship him out a couple times. You know what? If you do that, you, true. if you do that, you need to get it to the point sooner. You need to know who it was sooner, so it's like Ocean's Eleven, where it's just like, "I'm telling you, this is the guy," and it's not about who done it. It's about this is impossible, and you're going to accomplish the impossible by taking down this untouchable guy. To Dustin's point, they take a while to tell you that point too, so it, they kind of didn't do that angle either. So, like, you can do the, like, I'm a great detective, I'm going to figure this out, you're going to have to figure, you know, like, it's going to take time to come to figure out who it was, which they don't do that clearly, but also, 
they don't introduce him quickly enough to be like, oh, I know it was that gangster, and it's going to be impossible to incriminate him, and like he's so clean, like everybody knows he's been doing it, but like we can't take him down, I'm going to take him down. It seems as if they, like, we get there, but we had a couple of extended blinks on our way to get there. To, like, does it really, does it, did it have to make sense when you're watching it for the first time? No, you're engrossed, and that's okay. But if you, if you do, like, kind of look back on it, like, what else could we have picked? I feel like someone reached into a hat. Like you said, we don't know what we're doing with this movie. We don't even know who's going to star in it. Art dealer smuggling? Did any, anyone have art dealer smuggler? Okay, we're going to put this is the bad guy. Uh, like, it could have been anything. We've got drugs and not money laundering, but, uh, you know, bearer bonds coming in. Somebody raised their hand in the writing room and goes, I know something about the process of uh, having to store things before it uh, passes customs. And they're like, okay, sure. Let's do five minutes on that. It almost seemed like we can scrub away some of the sloppiness because, oh, we get to watch Eddie Murphy do it. I'm starting to lean too far into the, like, sounding like I'm hating on this movie, which I'm not. I'm just pointing out that I think there's some stuff here that was, as far as like what you said originally, like screenplay, I, I don't know if it all made a, a ton of sense or if it was as compelling without our now i'm going to put the linchpin back in without eddie no i think you're right and i mean the supporting cast is good but how good are they if that's not your leading man to just you know i mean everybody's pretty straight around them i mean judge reynolds a very likable guy i do think you know john ashton's a good grump you know playing tag he's a great grump yeah he's a good he's a good grumpy guy but Again, these guys are there to, you know, play tennis with Eddie to hit the ball back to him. He's classic, too. You know, he's like, like well, there goes my pension. There are some good one-liners, and they ad-lib a lot together. And, like, Eddie brings that out in them and makes them add that stuff into the air. Because, quite frankly, they're writing the script on the fly. They have tons of rewrites. They have a lot of a hard time making this movie. Again, they don't know what they want to do even as they're making it. It's weird. And Eddie's that guiding light in his chemistry was good on the set as good as he was in the movie and the product he was he was making people laugh sometimes they had to reshoot a lot because he was doing that but that joy I that he that. yeah that joy that he brought into other people is infectious and i think that's part of the energy of what makes this fun because you can kind of see they're having fun like in the in the super cop scene like when he's like talking about like making this telltale light up like These literally john ashton is like laughing on the final cut Right. He's like laughing and looking down like this. This looks like a Saturday Night Live, like Eddie's making him break. And he did that a lot. Uh, that's pretty good. And that that scene in particular, you know, where where he ends up, he was like, where he rats him out. And they're like, is this what really happened? No. He said, no, <laughs> no. And then and then Eddie's Eddie at the end of that, he's like, just for the record, the super cop story was working. <laughs> yeah, y'all had to go and ruin a great lie. Yep, <laughs> yep. And you know, little things like that are are great to like reference. But in, in the moment, it's like being so blunt about how you guys, you squares, you Beverly Hills squares, are really not picking up what I'm laying down. Not every movie can so like obviously have a character point out to another character. Like you just don't get it. And every time Eddie Murphy does it, every time Axel Foley does it, it's it's great. Well, it's great when Lieutenant Bogomil at the end ends up doing a very yes. elaborate cover up that exceeds the super oh, yeah. cops like thing. It brings it all. It and, brings it all together. And even though he's not very funny doing it, like Eddie has taught the whole department his 
horrible policing ways that are dangerous and will probably get the guy exonerated later. But I mean, it sure is fun to watch. And he's he's told them all how to bend the rules to the maximum. So he's Right. A- and that's what it's all about is, that, you know, I tell you, you know, bend the rules. Just don't break them. I mean, of course, he, bra- he breaks them. <laughs> <I think he breaks. laughs> <laughs> well, you know what's funny? He bends the rules in like a non Serpico way. Like he, he bends the rules in like like he, and he's he's not doing something that you might consider dastardly or like too violent or um like like the way he's just being slick about it. Like we, we as an audience, we appreciate someone that's slick. We don't appreciate someone that's ultra violent or careless or you know problematic towards women Un- and unbelievable like that's the thing is like what he's doing the way he the way he handles himself is just so believable you know that that somebody would you know believe his story and immediately give him you know attention and everything uh it's i mean i i just can't wait for you to watch the second one so you can get more <laughs> of that because you know they 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 have to spend some time introducing who he is and who all these other people are and then that's why the second one gets into, you know, really actual fully. Uh, he does so many things in the second one that are just just awesome. But it's interesting, the Rosewood and Taggart combination, they, they, they paired up various finalists and asked them to do improvisation in selecting them. And they gave them the following instructions of you're a middle-aged couple married for years and you're bickering with each other on an average evening. And Reinhold immediately picked up on an magazine and the two just started improvising the five pounds of red meat thing and that they ended up putting that into the movie i gotta hand them some credit they're very fun to watch i got more like you know like teenage son and you know grumpy dad off of them because i mean there's an age difference between them but if they're going for grumpy married couple it works for me well and we have another instance of that where in order for the joke to land you have taggart say like why are you telling me this what makes you think I have any interest in this at all? Like it's the golden response, not, though. Well, like, not, I, I see you eating a lot of red meat. Right. <laughs> uh, not not many movies can do this, and uh, I think in in some instances I would maybe give a movie a demerit for trying hard to have a joke land, um, but th- these all land effortlessly. Absolutely, I gotta say. I mean, it's interesting. Some people have speculated. It's this is a whole internet thing. Is Axel Foley gay? And I, it's, I, I think this is the result of Jenny Summers is just his platonic friend, and they don't end up hooking up, even though there kind of seems like some moments where she might have some attraction to him. And I want to say it's probably, I don't know, 1984. It's a big budget. Well, it's not a huge budget, but it clearly was a big thing. Was the world just not ready yet to see a black lead actor be with a blonde, blue-eyed, woman on screen oh so much so that people are now sitting there going like is this guy gay because like they're not together so it, it it's bad in two ways one it's like oh if you're not with this woman like you if you're not this babe magnet you must be gay so like that creates a bad narrative for the people who are writing that like we're just assuming that automatically but then also it might be also condemning of maybe they were just playing it safe of because when this was a stallone script they were a romantic couple that much has been out there so they might have walked it back saying like we can watch a movie with the lead black actor but he can't be with a white woman that's upsetting to people so interesting i have to wonder if that's part of what's happening here i wanted to take a moment to say that i was going to offer kudos for leaving romantic love out of this movie 
because it didn't, it, we didn't need it. Yeah, like, the friendship, friendship was good, I think. The friendship was very good. Because they could joke around with each other a lot more, you know? And he, she's always like, at the end, she's like, let me get my stuff, and we can argue about it on the way. <laughs> Another thing, while we're on these uncomfortable, controversial speculation topics, I want to ask a question. So there, there are gay people in this movie. It's 1984. You know, Serge is there, the banana man at the at there. Again, Eddie plays and portrays a gay man in order to gain access to the villain at one point. Is this done in a bad way where you're watching this today and it's really cringy, where it's just like, haha, they're gay, I'm laughing at them because they're gay? Or, or is it like, we're acknowledging them that they are gay people are part of the community, they're in Beverly Hills, and these characters are not done in spite, they're just kind of lovable. Like, I frankly like Serge. I don't think he's funny because he's gay, I just think his reactions to Eddie are very like, how would you sell this for? Get the F out of here. No, I cannot get out of here. It's like, I'm yeah. serious. Well, actually, this is, you have stumbled upon what I teased earlier, which is that I think this is something that doesn't hold up. And it's not the content, because I think Serge is very funny. And I think the little ruse where he pretends to have a type of herpes strain to get into the club, like, I think that's witty and smart. There's there's one other instance where we have the reference to homosexuality, which is when Axel is witnessing the crate going into the warehouse, one of the guys is describing a story about a bar he was just in, and he said that there was somebody near him that had like a crazy eye, and the joke was he thought the crazy eye, like, oh, what, are you coming on to me? That's why I wished you were here, or that's why I wished you were at the bar with me, because if you were at the bar with me, I could just send him... I could just send you over to him and he can have your way with you. As if, like, it's, it's another time they go to the effeminate men or homosexual men as the punchline of a joke. Now, I think this is a sign of the times. The movie is nearly 40 years old. But also, the people behind the movie and Eddie by himself, like, they're better than having to return to that well multiple times. I've counted five times across different bits. So it, it seems like this was almost too easy. They are better than, than that, not for stooping to the level in the first place, just for having to go back to it. They could have come up with several other funny things, and instead they went back to it a bunch. So that's the one thing that from earlier I said, that doesn't really hold up well anymore. And if you're watching it nearly 40 years later, are you saying, is it fun? it's still fair to laugh at it because it was good. It, was, it, was, it worked in the movie, but... Uh, you kind of wish they would have used more of the talent they had to have to make an otherwise great movie. That's I'll get off my soapbox. Okay, so this is exactly what I was wanting. So you feel like it does have a little bit of currency. I find myself sometimes being really forgiving with comedy and just saying they made the characters, particularly ban Banana Man and Surge, likable. You're not doing it to condemn them. The hero likes them. They help the hero out. Right. Um, that all that all seemingly works. So I I do think there's a moment like where Eddie walks down the street and there's two guys wearing like leather suits, which is ironically not all that different from what he's wearing in like his stand up specials <laughs> later. Right. And he exactly. ends up and, he, and yes. he ends up laughing at them as if like they're a couple and like like just like I can't believe what I just saw. That felt like a punchline. However, Surge does not feel like a punchline. Surge is very funny. I want to see Surge take the next customer because I just think Surge is a funny person. Yeah, I think it's important to say, like, Serge isn't funny because he's possibly gay. He's funny because he's funny. He's very excited about the drink he can make you. That's funny. <laughs> Correct. 
Oh, yeah, and he's got a great personality. And, I mean, you know, like to Russell, what Russell, to echo what Russell was saying, you know, that was more of a support. And, you know, Eddie gets along with them real well. And they're, it's a, it was in a positive light. But they did it for a positive outlook on things and to, to start introducing the world you know, to people like that that are part of society. I think it's a major movie that a lot of people, number one movie on the box office here, a lot of people saw it. And it said gay people exist and you can interact with them. And like them and be friends with them. And it's okay. It won't hurt you. So to your point, Dustin, I guess there's some bad spots. And I guess there's some good stuff. I think Eddie and Arsenio caught a lot of beef in mm. Coming to America. Mm -hmm. Which we covered, by the way. When they did uh, hire on a bunch of other actors for that movie. Now, you know, looking back in the history of all that. Gilbert Arhill is a real-life police department homicide detective. He was the president of Detroit City Council at one point. Martin Brest met him visiting Detroit to do some research for the location, and he seemed to say that, you know, he had this quality that somehow seemed like he could be Eddie's father, and that's how he landed this role. He doesn't have a lot of acting credits. He's real. I wish he was in this movie more, because oh, yeah. he, does, he does seem like an actor to me, and he's really good in this role. What do you like about their oh, dynamic together? He's just so good, you know, like, he's talking about the, the chief chewing his chewing his ass out or whatever and then <laughs> yeah. he's like oh don't don't worry he didn't chew all of it out and uh <laughs> you know just the the one-liners here and there between their those two characters and then you know now that you're done being a california hero you need to get back here to your real job you know and just the the whole the whole dynamic there is great i i, I personally love it in a way that is father-son type um, it is there's a sternness that's like really riding him hard. Doesn't take a lot of like he he expects a lot of him. He wants a lot from him, and you it comes across. And he's tough on him in a fatherly sort of way. But on the other hand, as soon as he goes out to Beverly Hills and he kind of gets in trouble out there, he says he's a he's a really fine detective. And uh, he's like the other guy's like I find that hard to believe. Yeah, he's not he's <laughs> not he's not even on screen at that point. But it does that line goes a long way to show the fondness and the warmth that he has for the character. Well, and it builds, it builds to the second one as well. You'll, you'll get more of that in the second one. It's just so awesome to think that he wasn't even a real actor. It's crazy. I think our villain, Stephen Burkhoff, is, again, I mentioned that he's a... It's funny I made the conclusion that he's a Bond villain. He's actually... He is. One of the main Bond villains in Octopussy, and somehow that uh, feels more fitting there. If, if there might be something that's a little bit lacking, I might think that Stephen Burkhoff is here. He's very one-dimensional. Maybe that's okay for what this is, but if there was any place for this to go better in terms of the writing, I think it's around the villain and his criminal operations. I think we're too still in the, like, the gangster cocaine run. Like, to your point, Dustin, I think the writing gets a little bit away from itself while they're trying to uncover the drug ring aspect of this. He's a criminal lord. They go way too into that while they're trying to nail him for something. Yeah. It was a tangent that started to feel like another movie at that point. And it's 145, but it could be could be 90 minutes. And I was sitting there thinking if there was a place to pull from, it's this pursuit here. It's a good action movie. It's on its own. When they bust the guns out at the end, it's fun. But the sleuthing stuff about trying to like get through the coffee grounds and stuff like that, if there was anything that was slowing down a little bit for me, it was that. Well, that's them holding your hand. That's them saying, I, th I think today, I, I think if we were to look back to a couple months ago when we did like The Departed, there are things that the director and the writers in that movie don't spoon feed the audience because by now, our audiences know some of the things about if, if you were to press this witness now, it's going to get tossed out or like 
people have watched Law and Order SVU for long enough to know a lot of the rules about uh, police procedure more so than they did in '84. That being said, this movie does tell you every time what exactly what's going on. Oh, don't you know? And then it's almost like turn to audience. Coffee grounds can be used to hide drugs from drug dogs. And, and uh, oh, thank you, uh, you know, movie for telling me that. Uh, but like. It's almost it's it's almost like lowest common denominator for to make sure everyone can understand why Axel's going in, but uh, Judge Reinhold is staying in the car and why he's stuck waiting because he's not allowed to go in and Foley is off duty and not under you know not uh, all of that stuff I think does slow the movie down or weigh the movie down a little bit. Or I mean, if we if we if we shortened it to ninety, that's good. If we kept it at one forty five and filled it with more of the relationship building with with Rosewood uh, and Taggart, I think that would be a uh, uh, ten more minutes, twelve more minutes there that we eat up that we'd love. I see how you get a second movie because the scenes with them coming together is a lot of fun. I love that's a great trio. I love, love the scene where like Taggart is being roped into it. Tommy, we've we've started to nit- nitpick a little bit. Is this just inconsequential? given the type of movie it is. Oh, and... for sure. I could care less about all the errors or mistakes. I think every every error, error and mistake I like, you know, talking about the villain, there's a really good scene in there where, like, you know, it, it's at the very end, Eddie goes in to find the drugs, and he's like, okay, go get Billy, and then that's when they put the gun to his head. And they're standing there when Victor Maitland comes in and uh, or they're like, take her away. And they're like, she's like, well, what are you going to do with him? And he's like, well, I think you should be more concerned about what we're going to do with you. Then they proceed to, you know, hit Eddie in the stomach and all that. And the other He takes a beating, but he goes running off in good shape. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, and then, you know, that's where he's like, if anything happens to her. Oh, I'm all ears, is what Victor Mm -hmm. says. And he says, I'll kill you. And then Victor says, oh, that would be a funny trick. And when he does get killed, it is a lot of bullets, and it's surprisingly violent, given the light tone of the movie. I remember seeing that much blood, and they're going like, whoa, Tarantino, (laughs) that's a lot for this. I didn't need, like, I just, that came out of left field. I was like, that was a leftover from the Stallone script. I also kind of felt like it was odd, because there's absolutely zero blood when mikey is executed yeah exactly they, they have not set the bar for that when the henchmen and stuff are getting picked off and like no blood and then all of a sudden it's like unloading like semi-automatic pistols and they're like i guess it's a climax but on the other hand it was like hot fuzz for instance established that this is going to be an absurd amount of blood and that's part of the humor that this world that we've that that we've entered into Beverly Hills Cop had not done that for me, so it was jarring. You've got these, this like machine gun shootout, a handheld like submachine guns being held by the, the henchmen, the cronies at Maitland's place. You've got Taggart who runs in with the shotgun, which I love, hero movement. I, I stood up and cheered when Taggart gets the shotgun out the trunk and comes up behind. I mean, it was like, all right, the gang's all here. Uh, but then we have some other strange things happening. Like, okay, now our soundtrack is cut off. I don't know, but he can't get over the wall a second later, and that steals the show for me. Because I, so I love it when they can't get over the wall. Like that is so. And, then, and and Axel starts laughing at him when they when they finally do, and then the machine guns go off. It's just fantastic. They do the good guys have to be fired at first, otherwise they're they're wrong for killing people. 
it is there's a lot of like bullet strings in front of their feet okay now i have to shoot this guy because he's shooting at me is so it, it, it is it the is this the one where where billy stands up and he's like yeah. you're all under arrest it is <laughs> yes and it's and it's then, good. Uh, Taggart's like if you do that again i'll shoot you myself <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah Oh, and then you get this kind of little crazed moment with with Billy, where he's like, "Remember the scene at the end of uh, when they're almost out of ammo, and the whole Bolivian army's there." And he's got that kind of crazed look in his eye. I'm just like, "All right, now I can see how this move, especially since you're bringing these these three back, um, I can see how this becomes a really fun trilogy." That scene actually play. There's some some play off of that in the second one where Billy ends up with just uh, an arsenal. So you'll, you'll get there. You'll get there eventually. But, uh, <laughs> but to go back to that, to that ending scene, one of the things that can't be forgotten is when all the police finally show up after they've already done their thing and all the cops rear into each other. I mean, it's just hilarious. They're like, they're slamming on their brakes and they're all hitting each other. It's, it's, it's pretty funny. <laughs> Martin Brest is fired. The director here from War, War Games, which is a movie we've covered. You can go download that if you want. This is his second directing job. The industry thought he was damaged goods. This movie has kind of been cobbled together. It is an unlikely success, so even down to the director. Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckensheimer, the guys who produced this movie, disagreed. They, two Paramount executives continually called Brest and wanted him to direct this film, and they couldn't get him. But Bruckensheimer just kept calling and trying, and he decided Brest did. Fine, I'm going to flip a coin. If I get it, I'll do it. And if not, then I won't. And he did it. So this movie turned out really well, so I'm glad. But I am wondering, it's funny, Martin Brest is kind of being portrayed in these comments as necessarily not being a huge win. However, he does Scent of a Woman later, which is a good movie. I like that movie. And Midnight Run in 1988 is another one of those. So it's funny, he's all over the place, because Meet Joe Black and Geely are not so good later. Martin Brest confusing filmography, and at least in this movie, I think Eddie Murphy got him through a lot of it. It was a tight schedule, they kept rewriting stuff, they kept not being able to execute the stuff that they wanted to, they had stuff in it that didn't make sense at one point, like he was an East LA cop being transferred to Beverly Hills, no one realized that East LA is an area of Los Angeles, and that they, he wouldn't be being transferred, so they had to go back and fix that. Yeah, having it be a cop be on vacation is is odd. In reality, this is a vengeance movie, not a justice movie. Yeah. And and, and then and you think you saved the day. Yeah, you saved Jenny, who you got in trouble in the first place. You you bust a drug and smuggling ring. It's not like you know somebody had. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's not like uh, The Rock where we have missiles aimed at the coast. One of the things I was surprised not to get, and it was a positive thing. I really thought we were gonna have one of those police brass individuals in the pocket of Maitland. See, and this is coming from a guy who's just saw it for the first time. Wouldn't you have expected that like, oh, they're leaving him alone because there's a lot of money in this part of the city. Yeah. And so one of them like is in the pocket or, or somewhere with a double cross. Never happened. You're studying this movie, though, closer. I mean, again, Eddie Murphy waves his hands around and these things do kind of disappear. And there's the rewatch value that you may not be getting by returning to it of just there's a big smile on your face by watching Eddie Murphy do all the things that he does. I'm kind of criticizing Martin Bress and the writers a little bit, but at the end of the day, it works. It's a formula that still works. 300 million. Yep. It took him 11 weeks and 80 days of filming to do it, which is a little bit on the long side. And yeah, I was going to say, it's the number one movie in the year, and it was the highest 
grossing R-rated movie for 19 years to come. That's amazing. I think The Exorcist was before it. The Exorcist was R-rated, number one. Fun thing, though, talking about Martin Brest, he's the clerk who checks Axel Foley out of the hotel at the end of the movie. So I always love it when a director sticks themselves in the movie. Hmm. And you pointed out, Dustin, there's some directing moments of this that are good in terms of the action. The chase scene is good. The shootout scenes are good. When they have conversations with each other, which are those heartfelt moments, I actually like the camera work where they put the the camera behind the shoulders. And they're kind of quick cuts back and forth. But what that does is it puts you in the seat of the person who he's talking to. And that's a nice move. I mean, it's not a new move. It's, It's out of the playbook, but it's used appropriately. And I gotta say, the tender moments work. And they don't dwell in it, they don't stay in it, but that's part of what fills this movie out. And it has heart. A good comedy will deliver some heart there. You're pretty sad that Mikey's dead. On a lot of movies like that, you'd just be like, hmm, you know, it could turn into a Jason State. The movie is like, you killed that thing that I'm, you know, like, you know, you, you know like, and it's like, now, now I'm mad. Like, it, it means something because of how they portrayed it. So I will give them some dues. Fish Out of Water, Detroit, Beverly Hills. Isn't this a fun juxtaposition they show? Don't they really? Like, right from the kickoff of the movie, I'm not sure Heat is On is the best introduction to well, to you got Detroit. The, part of that part of that introduction though involves the credits at the beginning and all those authentic uh, scenes that they were filming. I loved it. Uh, if you watch, if you I think it's the director's cut or one of those extra DVDs you get when you buy the trilogy, mm-hmm. uh, you have them talk about all those scenes and then. That one scene where that kid's spraying the milk out of his mouth, they were like, I mean, do we have to go up and ask the his parents permission to use him in this film? Yeah. How are we going to do that? You know, they're in the middle of Detroit and it's, you know, 1984. I think that that's all part of that opening scene that, that kind of gets forgotten a little bit. You know, in general, the cigarette truck, you know, that, that part where it just kicks everything off is, is just really funny. They do a good job of the showing you the world that he's from. Again, we said that it was 19 minutes of Detroit time. You get the grit that he comes from in that. And then he goes out to like Beverly Hills in the world of art dealerships and stuff like that. And, and how nice the, the police office is, like the, the, how much better their police office is than the one in Detroit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like they got yes. all these fancy computers and he's like, man, your squad car is nicer than my apartment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think this is the cleanest squad car I've ever been in. That's delivered well, yeah. It's got those two just, you know, like, look like models. stern, yeah. stern officers that are just like, come on, come on, buddy. Yeah, definitely worlds colliding. Yes. This movie soundtrack was also fire. Again, whenever I hit movie at this time period, its soundtrack helps carry it as well. I gave a little bit of hard time for the heat is on, but I mean, the big theme here by Harold Faltermeyer Axel F is the name of the song. It, this is just, I'm not a big synth guy, but this just is great. This adds to the fun. I was a little hard on the heat is on being played when we see these gritty Detroit scenes. But on the other hand, later in the movie, they are playing the Pointer Sisters or like Patti LaBelle and stuff like that while gunshots are going off. And that's part of what makes this fun. So by having this lighthearted music, which I'm not an 80s music guy, but it's just contributing to keeping this light. And that's was so the right call. Otherwise, you get Cobra with Stallone. And the music is a part of that. So um, this is out of character for me, but I'm going to say that that's part of what makes this movie is the soundtrack. Yeah, the, the Pointer Sisters' Neutron Dance is during the chase scene as well. 
so we we get put into this 80s music synth zone we we get put into the zone early and we never leave it and upon my second watch this morning i thought to myself we we, we use axel f so much and it's we use different like not versions of it but like we tone it up or tone it down depending on exactly what's going on in the, the scene. scene. Right, right. If, if they're doing detective work. Yes. You know, like, how, yeah. or if it's at an action scene. And then, like, if they're, uh, they use it to build up scene, you know, like when they're going into Victor Maitland's, I'm pretty sure, you know, they, that's when they, like, really drop it, you know, and they're like, okay, you know something that's going to happen. So they use the theme to uh, build up and, push down it's really great and it and it works and for for a while there i was thinking to myself does this need to be darker do we need to trade out these little uh upbeat percussion like high tinny sounds and synth do we need to trade that out for something that's darker scarier and then the answer to myself and you just repeated it russell was no this is how it this movie has to be and it works yep absolutely and it's time to hand out some awards. Tom, you ready to uh, give out some awards here? Well, sure. But first, I just must say, uh, I'm uh, looking out the window here at a stray cat taking a dump in my yard. <laughs> good, good. But it, you, nobody knows Nobody knows at this point that I'm, I'm looking out the car. I guess we did say something about the car, but... Uh, I mean, it's over here smelling. It it took a dump. It took a dump. It's trying to cover it up. Now it was smelling it, and now it's walking towards me, which is really creepy. Is this a cat you know? No, it's a stray cat. I almost ran over it the other day, but I didn't realize it's <laughs> over here in my side yard. And now it's literally, it's literally right beside me right now in my car, and I'm really freaked out. This is the most downer answer to you want to hand out some more. Tommy, don't Tommy, don't move. <laughs> they can't see if you don't. <laughs> That's right. right. Okay. Well, let's hand out the award. MVP. I think I know where this is going, but uh, Tommy. Axel, Axel Foley. Mr. Eddie Murphy. Yeah. Uh, Dustin, is this a sweep? You know it. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, me too. Yep. I mean, we. I think we spent 45 minutes, if not more, of this episode talking about how awesome Eddie Murphy is. Best supporting actor. This is this is tougher. Oh, this is tough. Yeah, yeah. I am who's your best going, supporting actor, I'm Tommy? Not going I'm not going first. You're not going first. Okay. Dustin, I'll go first. who's your best supporting actor? Uh, for for me, it's Judge Reinhold here. This is kind of we didn't touch on it too much, Tommy, but it, there's a huge difference in seeing this for the first time ever and growing up with it, especially how critical I was. And I felt like, how did this guy not get as much work? And I know he did eventually do some other movies, and then he came back for a late career surge. He's older now. I thought to myself, if this guy was born 15 years later, he's taking half of McConaughey's roles. Or if, if, if romantic comedies were bigger at that time, or something about him, he seems like uh, somewhere between like a, a Steve Zahn and, you know, a, a Josh Hartnett. Like he, he, he fits a lot of things. Uh, you know, handsome dude. Uh, all the things kind of work for him, and it just kind of never turned into a superstar. I like Judge Reinhold. I don't think he's necessarily the stud like that by any means. I think he's kind of got this like nebbish kind of like I'm rooting for you underdog quality to him. Yeah, I, I think he could be. And he actually said this himself. I think he believes that, too. But I think if you, if you start the movie, or if, if, 
his character, what it becomes, he's not that at first. At first, no. he's a, he's a little more straight laced, definitely. And I I think I think you could you know put him in a Wall Street suit, and uh, you know he fits into the he fits into other movies. I, I I think he could have been used more, but he's talked about like, hey, I was rough to work with. I didn't deserve all the accolades. I I had some success, but that's all I deserved. Well, I mean, since since you used him, I mean, I'll, I'll just go with Detective P. I mean, I know he doesn't get a lot of screen time in this first one, and it's a hard to say that it's a real true supporting role. But, I mean, for what he's done, for, for as far as, like, when I re- rehearse this movie and uh, talk about all the one-liners and everything, a lot of them come from him. So He's great. Um, yeah, I mean, it's that, that's who I'm going to it's a good pick, and I considered going with him. He's just not quite in enough, but I actually really like Bogomil, the Ronnie Cox, and this is a career shift yeah, for him. Yeah, yeah, Bogomil was good, because at the end, he, got, yeah. he takes the cake, you know? That's a great scene when Bogomil, like, makes up that fabricated scenario, what happened, like, I'm going to see that in your report, like, yep. You know, this is a change for him. He was normally a warm, like, dad-like character in his portrayals before this movie. After this movie, he goes on to do tougher, hard-nosed, you know, lines. So playing this police chief, uh, being a tough guy, changed his entire career and we later see where he goes in robocop but i mean yeah i i really liked ronnie cox in this one i really liked how he come out like well we do things by the book here and the transformation that he does as a character he is also just taken in by axel foley's charisma and oh yeah that, that that's what makes him a really good so that that's a really good pick ross uh, that's maybe because of the transformation yes and how you're i mean that's perfect yeah, he, his whole entire life was changed. Yes, and I do like I do like your pick though, Gilbert Hill. He's great. Now, Tommy, hidden gem. Well, I mean, nobody really. I think I, I don't know if people would miss it, but Surge for sure. I mean, come on, you you come in there with a lemon twist, and it's um, good. and then you'll find you'll see him you'll see him later in the trilogy. And he, he just has these little tiny parts that are hidden gem. That's great. He made this character of this, just, it's kind of like Fez from that 70s show, like we're not sure where he's from. And uh, right, he, we, he, should, we should at least say it correctly. It's Serge. Serge. Yeah. Serge is Serge. so. It's an awesome, uh, super caffeinated beverage from the 90s. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he gets this character from somebody, an impersonation that he thought was just so funny and hysterical of somebody who would be was working on his hair and makeup as an actor. She always wore sunglasses and she was doing makeup and, you know, he would ask her, like, uh, how do I know what you're doing? You've got, like, these big, giant sunglasses on and, you know, like she was just such a character. She'd be like, don't be stupid, I know what I'm doing. Like, like this very strong confidence that Serge has. and But it was also friendly but warm. And it's funny that this makeup lady that Bronson Pinchot encountered is the basis of this very funny gallery owner. So right. it's a good pick. Dustin, how about you? Hidden Jim. I'm going with Bronson Pinchot as <laughs> Serge. Uh, it's a two for two. We're on the same page. Uh, and I, I, the one thing I'll add in is he also plays a like a dramatic role in the Pointer Sisters music video for the Neutron Dance. Very good. He, uh, he's awesome. I'm going to go with Damon Wayans, the banana man. I just like Damon Wayans. And, and I think he's just so funny. Like, like he's like, 
like normally this this is about uh, twenty twenty seven dollars in for the buffet, <laughs> but you can have this and this and this, and it's just like I just want some bananas. Just take them. Like the mischievous <laughs> nature, the mischievous <laughs> nature is just like I don't care for oh, all this yeah. rich world that I'm like like he's like he's like this he's like this guy this working class guy and like he's you know he's just working at it and he's just like yeah I don't care. It's <laughs> so funny. It is good. Um. And which that, I mean, we, you know, you gotta, obviously that turns into one of the most iconic scenes from the entire decade, I would think. I asked somebody who's a car guy, what would happen if you jammed bananas into somebody's tailpipe? And I guess, I guess it was not going to stall out that fast, but it will stall out is the answer. If it's packed in there tight enough, but it has to be packed in there pretty tight. Well, he put it, he put quite a few in there, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Yes. So if you're going to do this to somebody, say your principal or whoever, or your neighbor who you don't like, I mean, you're really going to need to get a lot of bananas and you're really going to need to push them in there with some kind of device. So that comes from an engineer. I must say, I made this comment the other day as people were stalling and it's like, it's almost like, it's almost like we're dealing with bananas in the tailpipe. So someone who hasn't seen this movie, you don't want to say that in front of because they're not going to get that line and they're going to probably go elsewhere. We're not going to fall for the banana on the tailpipe again. Exactly. That was so Richard Pryor. Like, I love it when Richard Pryor does, like, white people impressions. Eddie Murphy is definitely influenced by Richard Pryor. So when he does that little moment there, it's just like, yeah. ah, that's a little bit of Richard Pryor there. Like, you've, been, you've been hanging around this I'm guy too long. I'm not going to fall for the banana on the tailpipe. You've been yeah. hanging out with this guy for a while. That's so funny. <laughs> Yeah. It's like here, uh, it looks like you're on a stakeout. Stakeout? No, this is a, this is a picnic. This is a picnic area. <laughs> around here. Yeah. He's taking them in too in a moment of matter of seconds. I love I love the charisma. Uh, he's he's as charismatic as Ferris Bueller. You know, just he can get away with anything. You got to wonder at the time after the movie came out, how many people tried the whole like letting the light turn uh, red and then flooring it after they saw that scene where he he you know avoids the the cops again or the guys tailing him tommy if you had to recast somebody and put somebody else in their place who's it going to be well i mean you brought up a lot of good points about the uh villain but you know i don't have a problem with him okay well i'm gonna i'm gonna have your back there what if you put michael douglas in his place They had it to spend. I mean, they made. I don't. I didn't actually get the how many times over this movie made its budget back, but no, they had it. Like I, I think actually getting somebody who takes it serious and isn't so one dimensional actually makes it funnier. Like that this is happening around him. So uh, we've seen this sometimes, like where you you just play it straight as a villain, and the mayhem around you actually becomes quite funny. What if you get Ruger Hauer there? I like. Oh, mm, they that's actually good. look a lot alike too. I like that. I might like that more. More is menacing. It, yeah, is this your pick, by the way? This is good. Yeah, that's mine. Yeah. We okay. all went after Stephen Burkhoff. Yeah, we all went after Stephen Burkhoff. Yeah. I uh, didn't go after him. You, oh, sorry. sorry. Oh, no, you, there, you went after, after him hard with an axe. After you, after you did your whole spiel on why you shouldn't have been the villain and this, that, and the other makes a little bit of sense. Oh, you went after him hard. You were coming through the bathroom door with an axe going, here's Tommy. <laughs> And poor Stephen Burkhoff was just shuddering in the, in the floor of the bathroom. No! Best shot, Tommy. I'll just take it easy on this one and do a, uh, the chase. And when it comes through one of those roads and just where they've got it in front of it, and the truck is literally 
hitting each car. I thought that shot was great. And if you watch the direct cut, they actually said in that there's during that that shot, the one of the cars comes out in front of the truck and the truck, the driver of the truck had to make this awesome move to make sure that he hit that car out of the way because the, the car turned sideways in front of the truck and they thought that it was going to end the scene. They were going to have to reshoot it. But he had he was able to just hit that truck out of the way and keep moving. So I'd say that was the best shot. That's a great answer. Dustin, what's your best shot? When we make that transition to Beverly Hills and we get the, I think it's kind of a classic shot now of kind of looking at the sky and you only see the tops of the palm trees and then you pan down to see him driving his uh, blue Nova through. That, that that blue piece of crap Chevy Nova. Yeah. Still, I remember that you used to drive that crappy blue Nova. What do you drive now? <laughs> Same crappy blue Nova. Uh, it, it, it reminds me of one of the oldest little like trivia things. It, it might not even be true, but that they said the joke is, oh, they say that the Chevy Nova didn't sell so well in Mexico. Well, why? <laughs> Nova means no go. <laughs> My best shot's gonna be. Uh, this is a little on the nose, but it's the kind of movie that this is, and it's just Eddie's infectious energy comes here. They're at the strip club. Taggart takes the arrest on the second gunman. The gunman and Eddie winks at him to give him a big like. So Eddie looks over at the camera. Gives him a big okay with a big smile on his hand, and like if you just oh, if you take a snapshot man. of this movie, that's the infectious energy. You just show me a picture well, of that. Isn't and I that just, on my, the cover? Well, no, he's got on the cover. Like he's got like a gun on the hood of a car. That shot is on something. If you look this movie up, it might be the second one. Thing. It's perfect. Like it just it. To oh me, man, I'm looking at it right now. It's it's so funny. And you're looking at it and tell me it didn't put a smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Looking at the camera and breaking the fourth wall or whatever is not normally smiled upon, but in comedy, I like it. And I like that Eddie did it. I mean, yeah, Eddie Murphy in his best is just this contagious smile and the laugh. We haven't even talked about the laugh. <laughs> exactly. You know, so. You know, we just mentioned his Saturday Night Live breaking the fourth wall, looking at the camera breaking. This movie is actually a series of characters that he's playing. It is so perfect for Eddie because he makes all these little small performances that he carries through to get him into the next room or to get him out of a tight bind. Right. And that is like, Eddie's strong suit. He, he talks he, to the security guard saying, hey, can you come here a second, please? Eddie doesn't like smoke his tobacco twice. Like all the things that he did on Saturday Night Live, he didn't just keep coming back. He didn't like do it. He was only there for a short period of time compared to especially people's runs now. And so this movie is the same thing. He hits some amazing notes. He doesn't drive him into the ground. He is such an adaptable, genuinely funny person. You just can't stop saying it. That he's, he's really is a genius. I, I, I don't use that word lightly. I mean it for him. He is a comedic genius. Best scene. Justin, why don't you go first on this one? Best scene. <laughs> My best scene is uh, it's the strip club scene. Because I think this is when we get a little bit of, of Billy's personality comes out a little bit more. Uh, you you see Axel trying to connect with these guys. And then on top of that, I didn't mention it during the soundtrack part, but they're playing a song by Vanity Six uh, called Nasty Girl on loop. Um, and that song was actually written by Prince. Yes. And uh, yeah, Vanity, I mean, she, uh, rest in peace, she actually, uh, she, she's not with us anymore. But I, that, that scene, there's like, 
there's like smoke in the air. You actually have, you don't have automated lights. You have a guy literally holding the spotlight. Like, what happened to those jobs? <laughs> those jobs are gone. And I think then we get the bust, right? That sort of an unrelated bust of a of a robbery about to happen. Yeah. Would it have been better if whatever crime they come together on to stop together wasn't somehow involved with the rest of the plot? No, Probably. I don't know that it is. I would, I would, I would argue that we need a little bit more on that part of the scale. But the idea that he stops MacGruber from shooting people with a shotgun it felt good. I, I like that scene. No, no. See, I think, I think, I think the whole point of that scene though was to build the relationship and the. Uh, they did the, work together. Yeah, yeah. They to prove he proved himself that he was a really good detective because he saw the, the crime. And then, you know, you, you get to that scene where he's explaining himself that we've, we've already talked about, where he says, you know, that was that was from the super cop scene. Yep. And then, and, you know, that's when Taggart says, uh, Axel, Axel deserves all the credit here. Um, okay. And hey. that's when you know that he's a good, good. And they even like him more for, like, trying to give him credit. Let me remind you, I just picked it as my best scene. <laughs> I'm not hating on the scene. You're right. It's my best scene. Tommy's, so you're like, no, yeah, no, Tommy's no, defensive. you guys don't understand. I'm like, this is the one I like the best. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. All right, well, Tommy. I'll go next. Oh, yeah, you I'll go, go next. next. The scene where Eddie comes in, he talks about having the herpes simplex, gets let in there, throws the dude's bodyguard over the buffet. The guy gets the, the food all over his face, and then, and then Victor tells him to, to uh, stay down, and Eddie says, oh, that's nice. So he's like a dog. Does he sit and roll over too? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and like as he sits down after he makes this huge scene, he says like hi to the people sitting in the in the table beside him, and it's just it's just awesome. That scene is, I mean, you know, you get every bit of everything there. He gets arrested at that scene. He makes a scene. He really gets under the skin of the villain. I mean, come on, that that's a that's a pretty good scene. My best scene's going to be when Taggart and Billy, well, Taggart in particular is roped in by Billy joining Axel to go into this big street up ma'am. It's Ebert, the music that gets you. Yeah, Ebert slammed the ending of this movie saying, like, this was just a dumb shootout and this always happens now and, like, you don't even have to write anything, you just insert a shootout. No, it's fun. And shootouts aren't normally always fun like this. And, again, this is what I love about Hot Fuzz. It all builds up. It all builds up to this big crescendo. And in this case, it may not be as big of an, like, it may not be as exaggerated as that, but you have come to like these characters and now they've come together and it's very rewarding to see them fight together. So it's really rewarding. I disagree completely with Ebert. He's wrong on this one. Mm. Best wardrobe or makeup moment, Tommy. Oh, well, that's easy. When he's walking through Beverly Hills and they, they pass by all of those characters, the guys with the leather jacket. You know, I can't remember if this is the one with the pink lady with the dog uh, or if that's a if that's the it's second. Kind of, yeah, one. it's kind of a pale pink. I, I remember that one. Yeah. OK, good. So that's that one where he's going through Beverly Hills and he's seeing all this stuff. All the beautiful people. Yeah. 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 That's that's my that's mine. Dustin, best wardrobe or makeup moment. I was going to pick one of Eddie Murphy's outfits, but I'm actually going to go with uh Lisa Ailbacher, uh, her makeup. Now, I, I watched this. I down, downloaded it, and I got like an Ultra HD version. And this is the earliest uh, movie or TV show I've ever seen 
with uh, there's a very particular style of contouring for her face. Contouring became extremely popular here in the States uh, 10, 12 years ago. Something that all the kids do, all the YouTube video kids do. And I'd never seen it so like perfectly well done, what, 36 years ago? So it's, it's kind of crazy, 38 years ago. So like that's the earliest I had ever seen it. And it was like, wow, this actress I'd never seen in anything else, this, is, this looks great. So it's rare that I get an actual like makeup moment to comment on. So that's why I went with that. <laughs> it is good. And I'm going to go with a just beat up Mumford t-shirt. It's just so good for Eddie's character. Like he's not trying to fit in. He is himself and he is this fish out of water. Let's go with change one thing. Dustin, if you had to change one thing. I think uh, well, this movie's great. I, I think we would still, I'd like to eliminate one level of the police bureaucracy. We have other detectives. We have like the A team and the B team detectives. We have then a one level up is where we get to uh, Bogomil. And then it's after Bogomil that we get to Chief Hubbard. And then we've also got the chief back in Detroit too. And I feel as if if there was some way to somehow condense that, we could get more meat out of this movie. So it, and I, I really did like the complete change of culture between the Detroit office and like the super up-to-date. It looks like Houston Mission Control in the Beverly Hills precinct. But we're in that office so much, I feel as if some of it gets a little bogged down. So that's, that's what I would do is maybe just eliminate one level, but uh, I still think it worked. If I could change one thing, uh, I would just have Jeffrey come to Beverly Hills to aid in some way, you know, yeah. to kind of, if they would have mixed him in, I think that could have aided a little bit to kind of Eddie's whole uh, way he does detective work back in Detroit. I think uh, adding him into the mix would have been, you know, a, a really good add. Besides adding Inspector Todd in, which is something I'd want to do, there's something even bigger, and this is just a sign of the times. Jenny Summers giving her something to do. Uh, I, I'm okay with her not being romantically involved with him. I, I, I am questioning what was typically done at the time. If Was that done for race reasons, as I kind of mentioned earlier? But I'm not telling her to become romantically involved here. I'm saying she's smart, she's connected, she has information, and she gives him a little bit here and there, but I actually like her character and more than just driving him around town in a nice car, I would like her to take a little piece of this, just a little, do a little something, again, go outside the lines. And I like how Bogomil kind of covers up and even uses her in things and kind of would kind of get her off the line. I want to see her just, you know, used a little more. She's cool. Get her involved. That's a good one. Yeah. Give the lady something to do in the 80s and not uh, just be pretty faces and so often this era of movie of this type of movie they just become very interchangeable wasn't that a political slogan i thought i remembered that give the ladies something to do in the 80s i don't know but uh no uh, i made it sound bad <laughs> i was gonna say i made it, I, it doesn't sound as good when you read it back to me like that it, uh, i was gonna say you should give them you should write good characters for women is a better way of putting it so, yeah that the, that's the better way of putting it yeah i didn't say when you read my own words back to me, I said, I don't, I don't like that. That's, that's not what I meant. <laughs> that's, not, that's not right at all. Whoops. So, <laughs> write better female characters. There you go. Worst ally ever. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first on the round table. Be be best quote, Tommy. Yeah, Dustin, you can go first. You can go first. I'm going to go a little blue on this one, and it's not really about the language, it's just about the content, because I thought it was it just out, of, out of nowhere, just a funny tangent that he went on, 
when they're at the strip club. That scene. Billy, you know, you don't have to be embarrassed if your dick gets hard. You're supposed to get hard. See? That's the whole object of this. Taggart dick is hard, but he won't let you know because he's the boss. Boss dick gotta stay limp, right? See, I ain't on duty, so my dick can be hard. I, I, I die. It was so funny how long that went. I um, think, and that that relates to a lot of like people. I think a lot of people like that uh, in the in the scene. <laughs> I think I think that just that scene, you know, makes and this movie, you know, that much better when uh, when they're there and the boss is there, and then you know you get the you get the uh, the chief even talking about that scene and saying, "I can't believe you guys went." There. And, and and then let's put it, put it, the same thing about that scene. He's never not moving in that scene. He's doing that shoulder shake the whole time he's talking to both Billy and uh, Taggart. It's it's so good. Yeah, seemingly a shameful situation to be in where you don't want to look at each other, probably, or uh, you know. But he's a uh, he's very he's very casual about it. And he's like, I'm having a lot of fun here, and it's that, that's very <laughs> funny, making it awkward for the other people. And your your long soliloquy there is definitely adding to the situational humor. <laughs> It's funny to make people feel awkward in comedy, I think. Good choice yeah. there. Tommy, do you have a do you have a favorite quote? From Detective Todd, when uh at the very at the beginning when they're discussing the murder, and he's like, uh, how how do you know it was a professional hit? He's like, Well, I didn't just walk out of the cop fields. Yeah. Whoever was who whoever shot him wasn't worried about your narrowed ass. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, that I mean that that was just uh, a classic, you know, detective. It's a police movie. Detective Todd, who's uh, Axel Foley's boss, is, you know, schooling him on a murder scene because Axel Foley doesn't really do murders. You know, he, he's just a detective that he's not a homicide detective or anything like that. So, you know, you've got the detective, his boss basically schooling. Him, and that's why I like that, that quote. Yeah, yeah, this is great. And mine, mine is thanks to you, Tommy. It's Stephen Burkhoff's line, which, trust me, he doesn't technically deserve the best line of this movie, but it's because of you that I picked this line, and it's uh, when Victor Maitland's character goes, Detroit is a very violent city. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that really hits home, though, because that one's, uh, that one's shoot, 15 years ago, probably, right? What yes. one was that, like 2006? Yep. Something like that. Man. All that's, right. That's a good one. If you had to rate this movie on a five-star scale, half-star intervals, what would you rate this movie, Tommy? Five stars? I, I figured you were going to go this way. Dustin, what about you? Come on. It's, I, I'm over here. I get to select the movie. I mean, of course, I'm going to get the five stars. I mean, you know. He's sitting in his car on the speakerphone of his phone because he couldn't get his headsets to work, watching a cat awkwardly creep him out. That's how much he loves this movie. Exactly. Just to talk about it. Yes. Dustin, how about you? I'm going to come in at four stars here. I I did really like it, and I wrote something peculiar. I'm going to say this is the best four-star movie I've ever seen. Like, I was thoroughly enjoyed. Russell, I'll tell you, I don't rewatch every movie for this podcast. Not I, 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 I watch it thoroughly. But it was like a joy to turn this one back on today when I learned we had an extra day to record. I'm like, this is going to be fun. I've got Patti LaBelle in my head right now. Like, there, there's, there's things, I'd say some of the things that take away, I already covered. And then some things that are just small and cool. I thought, all, like, not just the car chase at the beginning, but like, 
the filming of the cars, like doing their U-turns in the streets and how often they're on the streets and the, like the, the room service to the car, ragging on his car. There's all, all these little aspects. are Shrimp are, salad sandwich. Was, why was that so funny? Why, why was him describing what? Oh, I didn't even bring up uh, the, well, the because guy. Because they, they had the, they said, he, he questioned him. Uh, I think the <laughs> lieutenant questioned him. He was like, well, what'd you what have? did you have like, for supper? I think it was a, a, a shrimp, shrimp salad, salad sandwich. sandwich? Then the, the, the B team comes over and hands him some glasses with a banana on the nose. Oh, yeah. Like, we didn't even mention it. Like, the, these little things are just gold, which just eleva- it elevates it over any other four-star movie. But the, some of the things I mentioned uh, kind of keep it from hitting that five-star range for me. And you know what? I think what's going to happen for you is what happened for me, because I think you were probably right where I was. You continue to watch the other movies, and you're going to start to like it more. And you're going to go back right. and you're going to want to return to it. And the rewatchability kind of get this like, oh, Eddie's going into the hotel. This is going to be funny kind of like thing. That payback of multiple rewatching is why I'm going 4.5. And someday I might be like Tommy. I might actually go <laughs> full out five stars because it's the rewatchability of this movie. I was sitting there going like, this was a delight to come back to. Why have I not watched this more since I had last seen it whenever it was? It's time to, and I do crave to go watch the second one after talking about it here. Which, by the way, the second one's pretty good. I, I'm going to go with 4.5 is where I am. So, Nah, it's all right. Dustin, do you want to help me pick a movie for next time? It's time. Let's do it. All right. We've been going in 10-year increments, whether we realized it or not. So we did 74 with The Conversation. We did 84 here with Beverly Hills Cop. Let's go 10 years into the future on Oscar night in 1994. The, the nominees are option number one, Pulp Fiction from 1994, The Lives of Two Mob Hitmen, a boxer, a gangster, and his wife, and a pair of diner bandits intertwine with four tales of violence and redemption. Option two, speaking of redemption, the Shawshank Redemption from 94. Two imprisoned men bond over a number of years, finding solace and eventual redemption through acts of common decency. And option three, Forrest Gump. A, the presidencies of Kennedy, Johnson, and the Vietnam War, the Watergate scandal, and other historical events unfold the perspective of an Alabama man with an IQ of only 75, whose desire is to be reunited with his childhood sweetheart. (laughs) I wanted to do Forrest Gump, so it better not be Forrest Gump. Dustin, what'll it be? Is this the hardest choice I've been given? Perhaps. Option two, Shawshank Redemption. That's a relief. We went around with like Beverly Hills Cop theme in our head all the, all week long this week. We will then have Morgan Freeman narrating every minor thing that you do in your head. Like so, you're going to have like a uh, Russell Guest went over to the waffle maker and made himself a waffle. He flipped it over. It's just like you just imagine Morgan Freeman narrating your life, and you feel a little bit more significant. So, Tommy, thank you for coming on, and everybody check out his Braveheart episode. He was great on that too. Oh, well, of course. Yes, uh, I appreciate coming on here. It's always a, a, a delight. All right. Well, thank you so much, man. And thank you all the Lords, Ladies and Nights of the Retro Movie Roundtable. We invite you to reach out to us. We want to hear from you. So subscribe, rate, and review to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. Follow the show. Those downloads help us. They make us feel good. They keep the show alive. Give us a like on Facebook. Follow us at Twitter at, at movie underscore retro. Email the show if, if you'd like at retromovieroundtable at yahoo.com. And providing and producing this podcast is fun, but not free. So we invite you to support the show at our Patreon page at www.patreon.com forward slash retromovieroundtable. 
Any contributions you make will go towards making the show better for you, the listeners, and are much appreciated. So, as always, thank you for listening. Be good to each other and watch more movies. Dustin? You won't have eyes tonight. You won't have ears or a tongue. You will wander the underworld blind, deaf, and dumb, and all the dead will know this is Hector, the fool who thought he killed Achilles.